<laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I, uh, uh, he was announcing a, a prophetic ministry coming to town. Ooh, that's good stuff. So I feel more pathetic than prophetic most of the time <laughs> myself. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> you know, it, uh, uh, does this sound okay? Okay, because to me it sounds like I'm humming. But if you don't hear that, then we're good. Um, was it Jonathan? Is that who was up here? Jonathan was talking about um, the hope that we have in, in Christ and about heaven and seeing Jesus, really seeing Jesus, whatever that's like, um, and all those things which are good. We don't ever want to diminish that because the Bible says we're saved by hope. Uh, who hopes what he already has? See? Um, so that's, that's a key element. Hope bridges the gap between faith and unbelief. Sometimes we get all hung up on faith because it's fun, undaring. But without hope, you'll never have any faith. Um, uh, hope, Christ is our hope, and we need to remember that. But the scripture says also that even a live dog is better off than a dead lion because the living have hope. The living have hope. If, uh, how many are living tonight? Amen. You have hope. Amen. Hope for what? Hope for heaven, yes, but what about tomorrow? What about Monday? You see, once you get to heaven, you're not making an impact anymore. Once you get to heaven, the jig is up. Once you get to heaven, all the chances are done. So it's really important that while we're here, we're thinking about now. Because this is where the battle is. This is where the war is. This is where it matters. You see, it's, it's real important. So I just wanted to uh, make you angry right away. Um, okay, I, I was here a little while ago, and I think I talked about authenticity and relevance and some things like that. You know, everybody you hear, if you hear them long enough, they tend to repeat a lot of things because everybody has a bent. You know what I'm talking about? You know, certain people sing songs, or, you know, after a while, you've heard one, you've heard them all. You know what I mean? Because they have a message, a particular bent. So I'm going to kind of take off on what I was previously saying last time here. So as I was saying, um, uh, I want to say this. In America today, there are more conversions taking place in the recovery movement. Did you hear that? In the recovery movement than any other evangelistic enterprise combined in America. The recovery movement. The recovery movement consists of alcoholics, sex addicts, liars, thieves, and losers. That's where it is all happening right now in America, in that group. And it is beating out everything else combined. Church efforts, door-to-door -door efforts, concerts, name it. It's beating them all in conversions. And you know, when I heard that statistic, I started asking myself, why? And I wrote this out. It's a small paragraph because they have been stripped of everything designed to mask their frailty, and they have been exposed by their utter and complete brokenness. And they have accepted defeat in regards to having the personal power to be good. That's why they're getting saved. 
I want to read that again. They have been stripped of everything designed to mask their frailty. And they have been exposed by their utter and complete brokenness. And they have accepted defeat in regards to having the personal power to be good. Simply put, these people have been forced into a position of excruciating vulnerability. If you're not vulnerable, then you're faking. So now you can look at somebody next to you and say, are you awake? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus is calling all of us to a place of vulnerability. Now, you know, as a behavioral analyst, I work with hundreds of people all the time, people every day, and when I look at their profiles, which is a numbers framework that constitutes their emotions, attitudes, and values, and when I look at that, they have a natural style, which is your natural self. Nobody particularly knows where that style's taking place. Some say, this is me at home, this is me at work. But nobody really knows where that is. But there is a natural you. And then there is the adapted you. We all have that. It's the mask. It's the you that you believe others want to see. And that is the face that you put on. Okay? Nobody escapes this. Nobody escapes this. It's a part of life, so it's not condemnation. It's a part of life. We adapt to survive. Okay? We're survivors. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 6, if you would, for one second. Isaiah 6. Verse 1, Isaiah, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now here it comes. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In Revelation, John's Revelation, chapter 1, it says that once he got a glimpse of the majesty of God, he fell down as if a dead man. It, it, It nearly killed him. And here Isaiah is saying, I am ruined. Here's the deal. When you really get a glimpse of Jesus, and I don't mean some like misty, foggy aberration floating across the stage and everybody going, hallelujah. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you see him as he really is, you get a revelation of Jesus in all his glory. When that happens, you tend to see yourself as you really are. If you haven't seen yourself as you really are, you haven't seen Him. 
You've heard about Him. You've been instructed about Him. And you've contemplated. But you haven't seen Him. I heard a story one time. My mother actually told it. My father was a pastor for several years, 10 to 15 years when I was really small, little, like single digits. And there was a lady uh, that was telling my mom that she was vacuuming and Jesus showed up and she just kind of vacuumed around him as they were having this chat. I must have been nine. And I remember thinking, that lady's full of baloney. As a nine-year-old. If she saw Jesus, she would have needed diapers. If she really saw him that we just read about here, that would have been a problem. It would have been, Jesus, come on, come on, you're standing on my dust. No. You see, when you see him as he is, you see you as you are. The first thing God does is hold up a mirror. You ever gone to pray to him about certain things or somebody or something and end up realizing you got problems? Have you, is that just me that that happens to, or, or, or are you reaching that deep into the throne? Huh? You start going in there to find out something about something, and you find out something about you? That's what happens to me. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, Paul the Apostle says, For you have seen your calling, brothers, for God has not chosen the powerful. He's chosen the weak, the despised, the things which are not That's what God's after. He's after the people in recovery. See, we have to get messed up and slain out on drugs or, or ruled by alcohol devils or something like that before we realize we, we need recovery. So we set up programs for people that have what we call gone off the deep end. But you see... When Jesus came to earth, it was a recovery mission. And he was recovering you and me. We were the ones that are needing to be recovered, you see? And so it's important to understand this. You see, this group wasn't who's who in Jerusalem. It's will you in Jerusalem. (laughs) Will you what? Will you realize that you are but dirt? You know, there's enough lime in you to whitewash one chicken coop. And there's some carbon in there, there's some oxygen, there's some water, there's zinc, there's lead. That's you, that's what you're made of, earth. Adam, Adama, red earth. Your earth. Earthen vessels. We're earth. So these are the things Jesus are after. I got a quote here. The revolutionary thinking that God loves me as I am and not as I should be requires radical rethinking and profound emotional readjustment. Think about that. Loving you as you are, not as you should be. You see, our problem is, is we want to think of ourselves in terms as what we should be, but we don't want to talk about or think about what we are. You see, and when I work in the corporate world, I'm always telling people in regards to their work efforts, do what you are and you'll never work again. Because when you're doing your passion, which is less than 20% of the populace in America who are doing their passion, 82% of people in America are waiting on their dream job. 82% of Americans working are waiting for their dream job. 
And I asked them, you think it's just going to like pull up in your driveway? <laughs> what? <laughs> How does that work? You're waiting for it. No, you got to go get it, <laughs> like everything else in life. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other thing. Small wonder that the late spiritual giant Basil Hume of London, England, claimed that Christians find it easier to believe that God exists than to believe that God actually loves them. Until we learn to live peacefully with what Andre Luf calls our amazing degree of weakness, until we learn to live gracefully with what Alan Jones calls our extreme physical frailty, until we let the Christ who consorted with hookers, crooks, to be our truth, the false, fraudulent self motivated by cowardice and fear, we will continue to distance ourselves from an abiding, restful union. I'm here tonight again to talk about authenticity, the real, real things, real gut-level things about us. The fact that we are valuable, God sees us as valuable, and God wants us in this world to be about His business and I understand, I mean, I'm in business, I work every day, I understand that as we are working and living, uh, being mindful of what God's wanting me to do today, you know, ends up in the blender with everything else. So I understand that. That's, that's normal, okay? That's, that's absolutely normal. So I want to talk to you about some value things what is the value? What are values? What do they do? They determine the ideas, principles, and concepts a person can accept, assimilate, remember, and transmit to other people with authority. That's what values are. Values determine the ideas, principles, and concepts a person can accept, assimilate, and remember and transmit them to other people with authority. The key word is authority. Okay? That's the key word. The only way to transmit a value with authority is to live it. Remember when they talked with Jesus, they, they would go to Jesus, and these people were like authority people. They'd go to Jesus with a mandate of some kind, or would be sent to Jesus with a task of some kind, and then they'd come back not having fulfilled it. And the officers and the leaders would say, what happened? And they'd just look at him and said, nobody I've ever seen before had the authority this guy's got. Have you ever read that? I've never seen anybody speak with authority. And one person said it this way, for he speaks with authority not as the scribes in the Pharisees speak. Ouch! Well, what was going on? What was this authority thing? The authority that Jesus had transcended everything. Jesus, you know your, your, your boys are eating corn on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, you forgot one thing. I am the Sabbath, son. <laughs> I mean, we're talking ultimate imperial authority. Jesus had it. And then he says, behold, I give you this same authority. But a lot of us don't use it. Because we're not living right. So we don't have any. We have no authority. The only way to maintain the authority of Christ in your life 
is to live right. David, King David, was an authority on the concepts of war. Right? Because he lived it. He was a man of blood and war, the Bible says. He lived it. Remember when he was trying to get a wife? So the wife's dad said, Hey, son, you want to marry my wife? Do me a favor. Go get a hundred foreskins off of some living guys and bring them to me and you can marry her. Anybody read that story? People just don't give those to you. All right? We're in the Bible tonight. He thought for sure David was going to die until he wakes up one morning and there's a hundred foreskins on his porch. Where's my wife? Now, if somebody's going to talk to me about war, I want it to be him. He has authority when it comes to war. He has authority when it comes to killing masses of people. Just like the mighty men. Hand frozen to the sword, out in a field, out in the open, having slain 800 men alone, and they can't even pry his fingers off the handle. Why? Simply, he refused to be enslaved by the enemy. He refused to be enslaved by the enemy. We're so easily enslaved by things. A stupid television can enslave you. And here's a guy, 800 men with swords, spears, and shields in some pretty strong clothing. 800 of them, and he kills them all. Because he says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. You've got to let that sink into your cranium. That kind of, what, what gives somebody that kind of determination? Of value. He valued something. A value. Remember David when he was a little kid? He was a teenager. And he's gone up to the front lines while the Philistines are all encamped out there and there's Goliath out there in the field yelling a bunch of junk. And all of Israel's just standing there like, you know, this is what we do every day. This is, this is life. The enemy taunts us, we listen, and we just wish he'd go away. And then David's up there bringing some bread and cheese. And all of a sudden, Goliath opens his big, fat, uncircumcised mouth again. And David goes, what did he just say? And one of his brothers goes, you're just here to show off. Why did his brother say that? Because this has happened before. He knew that David had more fight in his finger than the entire Israeli army. And he was about to show them his quality, and they were scared before it even began. And they tried to shut him down. Making fun of him and going on and on. I'm going, oh God, I hope he doesn't go out there and kill Goliath. We're all going to look like fools. And they did. What happened? Goliath hit a value. He valued God. Goliath didn't, and neither did anybody else there. But David did. What do you value? And what are you doing to stand up for that value? Years ago, I, I was doing some work for my brother-in-law. I was going to paint some rooms for him in a new construction thing. And it was in Florida. This goes way back. And I'm just painting, minding my business, doing some work. And I hear this guy, what are you, stupid? I looked around, and I didn't, I didn't see anybody, but I heard it. What, you know how to sweep? You know what the word sweep means? I'm thinking, what the heck, who is that? 
I get up and I, I walk to him and I look around the room. And there's a man there. He's the carpet guy. He's getting ready to lay carpet. And he's talking to his wife. And I've got the radio going out here, and I've got a Christian station on. So he sees me come in there and look at him. Like this. And he goes, hey, brother. That's what he said to me. Hey, brother. When are you going to be done with this in here so I can get, get the rug in there? Hopefully if it doesn't rain 40 days and 40 nights, it'll be tomorrow. I said, did you just call me brother? And he said, yeah. I said, that was your first mistake. Don't you ever call me brother. You're not my brother. He says, what are you talking about? Is that your wife? Yeah. Why are you acting like it's the family pet? He just stared at me. And he had about a 14-year-old boy standing over there in a corner, scared to death of his dad. You could see it. He was ashen all over his face. He hears Christian music. He sees a Christian t-shirt. The mask went up. Hey, brother! And I yanked the mask off. You ain't my brother. Anybody who talks to his wife like that is not a brother. In case nobody's told you, I'm telling you right now, you're not a brother. And he just stared at me. And I said... I'll be done when I'm done. And I went in and finished. He struck a value. That's not how you speak to women. It's not how you speak to women yesterday. It ain't how you speak to them today. And it won't be how you speak to them tomorrow. And if I'm in the room and I hear it, I'm going to say something. Because I value it. You see, what are you valuing? And what is happening with those values? What is it doing to you? How is it helping you? Philippians 2.12, it talks about us working out our salvation. It's kind of weird how it says this, but it says with fear and trembling. You know, you read that and you're thinking, oh my God. Like this, right? Fear and trembling. Like, oh, hope I don't do this wrong. That's not what it means. Our salvation is worked out through a process of authentic faith. Through the fear of the Lord. What is that? Don't hit me. Don't hit me. No. The fear of the Lord is the wholesome dread of displeasing your heavenly Father. That's, that's a real good description of the fear of the Lord. Remember uh, Hebrews 11 where it's talked about Noah? It says, Noah, he built an ark through fear through fear, he built an ark for the saving of his house. Remember that? It was through fear. What? Through the wholesome dread of displeasing his heavenly Father, he obeyed. You know, parents that punish their kids, they use fear as a motivator. Parents that discipline their children don't. Because punishment and discipline are two different things. So, what happens was God disciplines those he loves. Hebrews 12 talks about that. He disciplines. You see, God doesn't use fear as a motivator because God is not fear, God is love. Now, we get scared because we're stupid. We get scared because we know what we did. You ever put your hand in the cookie jar and then dad walked in or something like that and you know you weren't supposed to do that? What are you struck with, joy or fear? It's like you've been driving down the road, you're having a good time, and you look up and in your mirror you thought you saw a light and you're like short of breath, like, <gasps> and you're looking at the speedometer like, oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm ruined. I'm undone. <laughs> you see yourself for who you are, a speed demon. It's great. And then fear and trembling, that word trembling, Wyeth translation is actually a real good translation of the New Testament. The Wyeth translation says learning earnestly. That doesn't sound like trembling to me. 
Okay? Through the fear of the Lord and learning earnestly. Learning the ways of God earnestly. Like, working at it. So this is a job. Working out your salvation is a job. What does that mean? It means it's work. Working out? Work. You have to work at it. You have to work at working out what God has worked in. You have to work at it. When somebody does you wrong, do you just like, oh, don't worry about it. Pain on mine. I just love you. Is that just flow like that? No, you got to like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Hold on a second. <sighs> come on, Jesus. Come on. I want to kill this person. Huh? And you got to work that salvation out. What God has worked in. You work it out. And you will work it out to the degree that you value it will be the degree that you work it. That's how it works. And it's, and, it, and, it, and it's wonderful. So we have to begin with ourselves. Okay? When does it stop? When do we stop here? 7.30? Okay. All right. So we've got to begin with self. Proverbs 28.13 says this. He who conceals his sins will not prosper. In case that's too Greek for you, it's called hides. Hides. He who hides his sins shall not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Just let it sink. Let it sink. Let it sink. One, two, three. It's sunk in. There it is. He who conceals or hides his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes finds mercy. You know, I've realized something, and I begin realizing it with me. Okay? I begin realizing it with me. And that is... Some sins you're so used to doing, you don't repent anymore. Huh? It's just, it's, just, it's just like normal to you. You've made a truce with it. It's just normal. It's like, yeah, I just do this. You just, you just don't. Let alone forsaken, we don't even confess it. it it's almost like, oh, Lord, you know me. <laughs> It's almost like that. And I know this from experience. Experience living on this planet myself, engaging with fish and sticks and everything else. I've realized that I've done this. That there are things that become so familiar to you that they breed contempt in your life. And they short-circuit the Lord's power. And you're wondering, what, why isn't anything working? Or what's wrong? And it's because you've made a deal with the devil. Remember that guy that wants to go to war with the king? He's got 10,000 guys, but he's got 20,000 guys, so he goes, hmm, I might get killed. I know what I'll do. I'll send a delegation ahead, and maybe they'll make some terms for peace. Like, hey, we'll give you all our bread and sheep, and then you won't kill us. Do you remember that parable? He compromises and makes a deal. Because the fight is too hard. It's too difficult. I don't know if I'll win. So I'll just make a deal. I'll compromise out. I don't know about you. I've had some sins in my life that took like 16 years to fight and kill dead. Like 16 years. Some take 16 days. Some take 16 minutes. Some take 16 weeks. Some take 16 months. Some take 16 years. Why? Because the ones that take 16 years are the ones I still love. <laughs> huh? Those are your favorites. You don't let those go easily. You try to hold on to them as long as you can. Huh? I know I do. Am I the only abnormal person in here? What's up? 
You see, we got to be real. We got to be real. The reason why we are losing this battle is because you're only as free as your secrets. You're only as free as your secrets. Here's something you might want to write down. You ready? This is going to be revelation like you've never had before. It takes free people to free people. It takes free people to free people. How many of you have ever seen a guy in prison go get another guy out of prison? You know what our problem is? We're in prison over here and we're trying to let somebody out of prison over there. Not only can't you free people, there's other things you can't do. What did David pray and cry to God? He said, Lord, free me from my prison so that I can praise your name. Listen, when you're in prison and you're singing these worship songs, you're going through the motions without the emotions. In case you didn't know, that's what's happening. It's kind of fraudulent. And you see, the Lord is here going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, let it go, let it go, wake up, wake up, look in the mirror, come on, let's get this thing going, we got a war to fight. And sometimes we're, oh, we're, and we're imprisoned. We're imprisoned, not only by our issue, or issue with an S in parentheses at the end of it, we're in prison to the fact that it's nearly impossible for us to be vulnerable. It's almost gotten impossible for people to be vulnerable. Dr. Brene Brown, she's not a believer, but she is a doctor, and she did a 10-year study, a 10-year 10-year research project on shame in America. Shame. On shame, disconnectedness, and vulnerability. And this is what she found. Number one, everybody has shame on some level. Everybody. That's, we, 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 just, we just do. Number two, number two, shame keeps us from fully connecting with other people. Because we are afraid that if they find out who I really am, they won't want to connect with me. And so we stay disconnected. And our disconnection holds us hostage in our shame. And I saw in the Bible years ago, but even more recently, a couple verses that said something about shame. And it had something to do with Jesus. And it said, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. What? What is this? What, 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 what is this? We can live Outside of shame? Yes. Because he bore your shame. He bore it. He took it. He took it. And it's only through real identification with who he is and who you're not that you can get rid of it and let him actually have it. It's only in that revelation of who he is and who you ain't that allows that whole process to happen. You see, Jesus was crucified in a shame-based culture. Do you know what that means? 
means their whole culture is built on the idea of shame, which is why the women cover themselves. Remember, long hair is a shame to him. Remember that in Corinthians. So shame is a shame-based culture. Do you know that Middle Eastern women that wear that outfit that covers them up like this, if they don't have that on and their house catches fire and they can't find it, they'll burn in the house rather than come out and be exposed to shame. That's the culture that Jesus was crucified in. And Jesus hung, listen, on a piece of wood in the way he was nailed kept his knees apart, and he was naked in that culture. Now, we have no idea what that's like. We have no, none, no idea. I can talk about it, but I can't, I can't get it. I can't grasp it like I should. I can't, because I, I don't know of it. But that's what he did, and he did that so that he could take and remove the shame that we have. But it's only through trusting in Him and understanding that He took it. I don't have to bear it. I don't have to create it. I don't have to live this way. I don't have to. Jesus provided a way out. That's the only way we are free of it. That's the only way we can be free of that. And the only way that can happen is to live excruciatingly vulnerable lives. Excruciatingly vulnerable lives. What people try to do in this country, she found out through her studies, is they try to numb their emotions rather than deal with who they actually are as opposed to who they think they should be. Remember, Jesus loves you as you are, not as you should be. Now, I'm saying it, you're hearing it, but we ain't getting it. Because if we got it, it, it would look different. Huh? Wouldn't it? And we're trying to get it, and I think we're getting closer, but we're... We're, we're, we're wrestling. There's a tension there because that doesn't feel right. But he loves you as you are, not as you should be. I know a man. I heard him speak. He used to be a university professor in the 70s. There was a boy in one of his classes that had severe acne, very greasy hair, and he dressed frumpy. And he was in conversation with this boy because he was struggling in school. He never had a girlfriend and he wanted one. He had a lot of problems. And as he was talking to this boy, the boy told him his routine was every morning to get up, look in the mirror, and spit at it. When he would walk to school, the construction workers out on the sidewalk would scream, oink, oink. And he lived in shame. He was a hostage to shame. And that man was a believer. And over the year or two, he worked with that kid, led him to Christ. He ended up with a beautiful girlfriend, he said, and free. But you see, we have secret shame. And the Holy Spirit wants to free us and deliver us and make us feel good. Ready? 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 Good about who you're not. Oh, I wish I could sing like Jonathan. Well, get over it. You don't. <laughs> huh? I mean, that thought crossed my mind when he was up there singing. Yeah, I wish I could sing like that. I'd probably start every conference off with a song. Huh? Forget it. I can't do that. I'll never do that. I'm okay with that. Boy, I wish I would like Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins made $62 million last year. Doing what I do. How did I miss that chip? Huh? You think I whine about that? Absolutely not. I don't care. I do what I do. He does what he does. I'm great with it. You see, I know who I'm not. 
I teach this all across the country. There's more power in knowing who you're not than there is in knowing who you are. Because once you know what you're not, you're not wasting any more time singing in the hairbrush. Huh? It's good. I, I, that's good, Steve. I don't know. You're, you're, you're good. Huh? Some people want to numb vulnerability, and here's what the research produced. You can't numb one emotion without numbing them all. You can't selectively suppress emotion. You can't. You, you, if you do, you're suppressing them all. And people that try to numb vulnerability that are in the church, everything uncertain all of a sudden gets real certain. You ever notice this? Whereas in religion, like politics, where Paul talks about the mysteries of the gospel, oh, today it's like, bless God, I know it. And you should too. Paul said we're saved by hope. We're saved by hope. Bless God, I, I know. All right, let's, let's rephrase this. Do you hope I have shoes on, or do you know I have shoes on? Huh? How many in here have been to heaven? You don't know. You hope. Jesus Christ, who is our, well, bless God, I know it. Huh? We make everything uncertain certain because we're afraid. The Bible says hope is the anchor to the soul, not faith. Hope is the anchor to the soul. Hope holds. When you don't have any faith at all, hope will hold you. It'll keep you in place. Hope is the only thing that keeps people from committing suicide. Not faith. Hope is the only thing that keeps people from killing themselves. People that kill themselves run out of hope. Then they kill themselves. Don't ever let go of hope. Don't despise it of the three, even though the greatest is love, because without love, we don't have hope. we got to put them in order. But because the writer just decided to go faith, hope, and love, we're all faith crazy. Huh? Hope. You see, when you're working with people that don't know Jesus, don't work from a position, I've got to get them into faith. Just get them into hope, and faith will come. We want to skip the hope and then get a big trophy for winning them to Christ. Start building hope. On my way here, I sat on a plane, and a guy sat next to me, and voila, we're talking. And tears coming down his face. Hope was being instilled in his heart. Hope was coming. He's got my business card. He's going to call me. Huh? What's up with that? Jesus loves him. He's hopeless because he's in the mortgage industry. Huh? Yuck. Well, I'll give him something to live for. Shoot, I'll give him something to die for. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, our hope, our eternal hope. All right, let me wrap this up. We make everything certain, uncertain. And here's the other thing we do. We pretend that what we do doesn't have an effect on other people. We pretend, when we're trying to suppress vulnerability, we pretend that what we do does not have an effect on other people. That's what 
BP did. They pretended the oil spill didn't have an effect on other people. You keep naming these corporations that do this stuff, and look what they're doing. They're pretending that what they're doing is not having an effect on other people. And we do it. We fight with our mate in front of the kids and pretend it doesn't have an effect on other people. Do you know how many people cheat on tests in college? Over 70%. And they're pretending that what they're doing doesn't have an effect on other people. You see, you know what it is to rationalize? It's to tell yourself rational lies. And that's what we do. We tell ourselves rational lies. The scripture says, buy the truth and sell it not. We live in shame because we have a fear of being disconnected. Jeremiah 2.13 says, all right, guys, I've got two problems with you people. Number one, you're disconnected from me, the living water. And number two, you're digging for yourselves fake wells that cannot hold water because they're broken. Here's what God wants from us. He wants us to get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and believe what we see. He wants us to look in the mirror and be okay with it and realize that he, he loves that. He loves that. My God loves that, just as it is. And when we look in the mirror, we only see the outside. We had to go beyond that mirror and start looking deeper. You know, human resources are like natural resources. They run deep. And they got to be mined out. It's just like people in work. What's happening in the Western world today when it comes to the corporate world is people are trying too hard to be professional, but they're forgetting to be personal. I was just in Denver with a company of about 300 people trying to teach them from a pulpit. It was hysterical. They had a little thing. It was like a pulpit. And I'm telling them, you're spending too much time trying to be professional and you're not being personal. How did God give me that to let me do that? Stand in front of a whole company of people, sinners and saints, who knows? And after I was done, a man walked up to me and said, are you a Christian? I said, yes. He goes, I knew it. <laughs> Isn't that great? That was good. It was great. We're digging our own wells. Let me leave you with this. All sin is, folks, is trying to meet legitimate needs through illegitimate means. No one's arguing with the fact that you have emotional needs. No one's arguing with the fact that you're messed up. No one's arguing with the fact that some of you are downright ugly. I am. When I was in high school, the, the, my gym teacher used to call me Gonzo because of my nose, my Roman nose. You see, I lost my left eye, as you can tell, when I was 10. And when I went in for surgery, I had to put a patch on it. And when I walked through school for the whole year, everybody called me pirate and tried to punch my eye as a 10-year-old boy feeling very ugly. And when I look at corporate leaders in the face, I'm very self-conscious of what are they thinking when I got one blue eye and one brown. And when they ask me, I tell them my father was a husky. <laughs> we all have our things we're dealing with. We all have our stuff. We all wish we looked better, sang better, did better, smelled better, who knows, whatever. We all wish that. 
And it doesn't mean we don't take baths, brush our teeth, and try to dress nice. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we've got to come to grips with who we are. We've got to come, really come to grips with who we're not. And we've got to sit down and realize that God loves me more than anything in the whole world, just like this. And I've got to get over this if I'm going to get out doing the business of the Father, or I'm sunk. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to go out there and love this world. But you can't do it until you're healthy. You got to love you first. And if you can love you, then you can properly love your husband and you can properly love your wife. If you don't love you, you can't. You're trying, but you can't do it. You can't do it. Divorce in the church is the same as in the world, there's no difference. I'll give you another shocker so is incest. It's the same in the church as it is in the world, statistically. Same. Nothing changes. Church world never changes. Nothing changes. Did you hear that? It doesn't change. When I went to a Promise Keepers event when I was younger, supposedly one million men standing up for what they believe, making a promise to love God, love their wives. Pornography in Washington, D.C. went up through the roof so much it made the news. Because Christian men were in the city. All the hotels, all their pornography channels spiked to the point of where they called the news stations. Who are we kidding? We got issues. And God wants to fix it. And you know what? He can, if you let him. If you let him. I'm letting him. I had a porn addiction in 1994. It lasted about a year. And I nearly lost everything. And God delivered me. Amen. I, I'm, I'm not afraid to talk about it. I talk about it all the time. Amen. I'll be debriefing people in corporate world. I go, you working, looking at porn at work? What's wrong with you? What? Oh, it's okay. It is? Then why aren't you doing it on the airplane when you get your computer open? Why is it at night? Why is it in, 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 the, in the basement? Why is it over? Why? If it's, if it's fine, if it's normal. Huh? Why is that? Let me just end with this. Jesus is in the business of not only loving you, but changing you. And He's in the business of loving you right where you are. And then when you change, He doesn't love you anymore because He already loved you that much. Amen. That's the kind of God we serve. And if we are going to make a major difference and a major impact in this world, we've got to wake up and get real. Amen. Let's pray. Father, You are a maniac, meaning you love us like a crazy person. You love us more than anything in the whole world. And you love it when we know who we are and we know who we're not and we're not living a hidden life. We're living the open life, the naked life, the gumnazo life. We're living a life where we live life in the open, out in the field with our hands frozen to the sword because we refuse to be enslaved by our enemy. And Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every single person here tonight will be ultimately and fully released from the grips of shame, fear, guilt, and hiding in the name of Jesus Christ. And they will storm the gates of hell with a mandate that we're here to plunder so we can populate heaven. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that they won't just be hearers of your word tonight. They'll be doers. Not deceiving their own selves, but loving themselves enough to do it. Father, I thank you for that in the name of Jesus Christ. Free us tonight. Yes, Lord. Free us, Lord, from everything that's holding us back. I know for years in my life, I'd say, dang, if this one thing would change, it'd be crazy. But my shame and my fear kept me quiet. And Father, I just pray right now that those of us that have stuff or things that we're nursing in a back room, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we'll quit it. 
will stop, will confess and forsake. And if we can't, we'll get help. And Father, I just thank you for it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Wow. Yeah. Just, um, it's just like like you had a big meal or something, and uh, you, you get a kick in the pants. You need to let it digest. But I was just as he was um, just at the end there. I was just thinking. I was going back in my mind to how we started the service singing, um, "Your love about His love. Your love never gives up. It never fails. It never runs out. That love can set us free." And I just, I don't know, I just, that is so profound when we, when we embrace the love of God and uh, his power in our life and, and stop playing games with God. Stop playing games with one another and just realize his love. And, uh, um, yeah, I want us to go in the blessing of the Lord, but if you want to spend a little more time with the Lord tonight or just allow God to do some work in you or you need special prayer, you can come down. We'll, we'll pray with you tonight. Um, but, uh, yeah. God's word has been out there. And if you need to meditate on this a little bit more, if you want a little leftovers, go on the website, listen to it again, and get it inside of you. But um, we just want to receive an offering before we go. Uh, Steve's here over the next couple of days working with our leadership team, and, and uh, so we want to be a blessing to him. And uh, so I'm just going to ask the ushers to get ready, and um, if they can, just uh, sow a seed into Steve's life, his ministry. I know he spoke to you tonight. And uh, he's going to do that tomorrow. And God's using him on airplanes and in boardrooms and everywhere. And so uh, it's good ground. But, um, yeah, as, uh, as men come, let's just pray. And let's just pray for Steve and, um, and just uh, God's work in his heart and in his life. God, we just thank you for tonight. Um, Lord, it, it's, there's just so much that's going on in our hearts and our minds. And, God, I thank you that, um, Lord, you're speaking to us and that you're doing work inside of us through your word and through the word that was spoken tonight. We just thank you for that. I thank you for Steve. I thank you for his life. And, uh, Lord, I thank you for his bent as he preaches on authenticity and vulnerability. And, and, God, what you've put inside of him. And so, God, we just pray that you bless him, God. You make him strong while he's here. And, um, God, that you just fill him up as uh, you use him in mighty ways. And, God, we just give now uh, to you that you might bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you give.